welcome to the Adventure Audio Podcast. This is an episode that we've been trying to get linked up and put together for a little while, but this is somebody who's had a very busy racing season, but that we have been uh, following along with and admiring all of the incredible stuff that he's been doing on the bike and off of it. His name is Rob Britton. He is a quote-unquote retired uh, road cyclist. Uh, He has retired from the World Tour, but he's by no stretch retired. We talk about that exact that exact notion uh, during the episode. Very, very excited to host him. So Rob has been up to some super, super incredible stuff. We'll let the episode mostly speak for itself. But uh, suffice to say, very, very excited to have him. Uh, Very important figure in Canadian cycling. So thank you, Rob, so much for doing this with us. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Wheel Science, who you can visit at wheelscience.com. And if you want to get some in-stock wheels from Wheel Science, you can use code Adventure Audio. That'll give you 10% off. So make sure that you do that. But if you want to consult with Wheel Science about what kind of wheels you want, so they build carbon fiber high-performance wheels for all types of applications of cycling, just hit them up. You can consult with them about a whole bunch of different things, particularly uh, how much you weigh, where you're riding, what kind of riding you're doing, how much you ride and what your expectations are for your wheels and make sure that you're investing in something that's going to be doing its job for you. The podcast is also brought to you by the State Bicycle Company, as always. State's been supporting the podcast for a long time. We super appreciate them. Amazing value, really cool bikes and a lot of really great products. You can visit them at statebicycle.com and uh, parts apparel, etc. They've got all of that stuff, lots of stuff in stock now too. And they just came out with a new steel road bike. So check them out, stakebicycle.com. Lastly, the podcast is brought to you by Hammerhead. So we have been using the Karoo 2 uh, Hammerhead uh, road cycling or cycling computer. It's absolutely an awesome device. Um, thousands and thousands of people are using it. Pros are using it like Chris Froome. Um, it's got a really intuitive interface. So it's, it's, it's touchscreen display. It's much more like using a smartphone than a typical GPS device, which is something that I really appreciate about it. It's really easy to see while you're on the road and cycling. Uh, and they're really, really good value. Super, super feature rich. But right now, if you use code adventure at hammerhead.io, you will also get a free heart rate monitor. So code adventure at hammerhead.io and you'll also get a free heart rate monitor if you're ordering your Karoo 2. It will come to you quickly, beautifully packaged, absolutely awesome little device. Uh, So check them out at hammerhead.io. Thank you everybody for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you're able to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you're finding the show. Uh, And we also have a YouTube channel now as well. So it's Adventure Audio Podcast on YouTube. If you can head on over there and subscribe, that helps us grow the show because then we're getting into the YouTube algorithms, Google algorithms, etc. So subscriptions help us find new listeners. Uh, thank you for doing that. On to Rob Britton. All racer. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I was cool. going to say and, that. Uh, as first and foremost, you know, right? You're not. I'd love, love to start by like talking about like what just happened just recently. I, I saw an article, whatever, a day ago, like, and that you you were what seventh tied for seventh uh, in the lifetime series uh, yeah. uh, classification. You made eight grand, and half of it you're donating, which is yeah un- unheard of. You know. Yeah, I so at the start of the season, and even when I applied for the Grand Prix last year, that was kind of um, a big part of what I wanted to do. And in like kind of typical Rob fashion, I like, fly under the radar for 
a lot of these events, which is fine. Um, so no one really like knew about it. Like I knew about it, but it was sort of unbeknownst to most other people that I was doing this. And it wasn't about like, you know, like just like, yo, look what I'm doing. It was just like, that was just a thing I was going to do. I felt like it was important to do. And, um, then we were chatting, uh, before the final event and I just brought it up that I was like, oh, I'm really stoked to be in the money. And I just hope that I can finish inside the top 10 because like the points, like if you have a really, if I had a really bad day or a really bad mechanical, you know, it wouldn't have taken much to slide outside of the cash. Um, but I was stoked because whatever I made, that was like, you know, a pretty significant donation for worth. Um, and then in addition to the money we raised for the FKT earlier in the year, it was like going to put it over 10 grand. Like, um, so yeah, that thing that makes like a big difference in for a lot of people. That's something like, I think 50 or 60 people, like full count, like a full set of four counseling sessions. So yeah, it's a lot. Can you tell us about Worth? Yeah, so Worth, uh, they finally re um, received their uh, registered nonprofit status this year, which makes it great for donations for a lot of people now. Um, but essentially, um, Worth is a hat company. That's how they uh, make their money. And with the sale of each hat, um, they put money towards uh, one counseling session for someone and they provide um, free counseling for people um, who need it, who can't afford it because counseling is not always, um, like for most, but even if you have a decent benefit package, it's not covered by most. Um, so, and counseling sessions, just like any other kind of self-help, it's not cheap. Like you're probably looking at anywhere from a hundred being like a good deal to you know, $200 per hour, um, and worth, you just kind of provide your info. Um, I think it's, I know it's anywhere in North America. It may be anywhere like globally, um, and they'll connect you. It's, it's obviously online counseling, but, um, yeah. And then it just provides help when you need it. And I think, uh, like even for myself and a lot of my friends, like I've seen firsthand how beneficial counseling is, um, and like just mental health in general and being like kind of comfortable with who you are and kind of all of that. Like, I don't pretend to be like a mental health, like advocate. I don't, I don't know that field super well, but I know it's something that like is really important. And it's like doing something like this is not hard for me to do. Um, like, so that made it kind of a pretty easy, uh, choice to, to work with them. And, um, yeah, I guess I did. It's the nice thing too, as well, is you, when you commit to it, you have to commit to four sessions, which I think is key. Uh, most people think it's, you know, one and done, but it's really important to have a few sessions when you talk uh, with counselors because you like, you kind of end up like unbuttoning a lot of stuff and actually like you become a much better person and you get a lot of great direction. So yeah, it's great for me. Good for you. That's awesome. And the Lifetime Grand Prix was super hotly contested too. Like the top whatever 20 was yeah. like who's who. It was it was anybody's game like right toward the last couple of events, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> um, it definitely, that top 10 was just sort of like, it. the top 10 had like about 13 or 14 guys. They were just kind of like in constant motion. Keegan was, I think, pretty much in a league of his own because he, 
swept four of them. But um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of movement. Even on the last day, I think, I think on the last day, the whole top 10 did a big shuffle, like second through um, ninth. There was like, yeah, a bunch of movement, um, which, I mean, I, th- I was k- kind of one of them. Like I ended up just sort of, I ended up being tied for seventh when I started. And then uh, Laughlin, I can't remember if he finished or ended up having to drop out. Um, he's out. So I like moved up for a hot second. And then Payson didn't start. So I moved up again. But then Andrew Lesperance was only one point behind me. He came over, like, Robert had, like, a great race, jump way over. Like, he moved up, like, five spots in the last race. Howes moved up. But it's, like, you're trying to do this mental math because it's all just single points. So you're, like, depending on where people place and how far back I place, everything can change. So, yeah, that last day, it was wild. And, like, holy, it was fast. Like, was it? Yeah. Oh, it was, like, like being, like, road fast, like... It's crosswind, all these little rollers, and you just kind of pop out, and it's exposed, and it just, like, it just reminded me of, like, racing before, like, on the road, where it's just, the field just, because it doesn't have the depth, right? You you have hundreds of people at the start line, but, like, when it detonates, it's, like, it doesn't come back together, because it's not like you can, like, another team is going to chase, or, like, there's tactics on his teammates, so it's just, like, when it goes, it's gone, and they didn't slow up. And this event you're talking about was the Big Sugar, right, in Arkansas? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That was, oh, I was in such bad shape when I got there, and it was just, oh, I suffered like a dog for five hours, like, cramping, my, like, hands, bad. everything is still so sore. Like, it's it's a hard course, like, deceiving me hard, and then, like, it had been a long season, so I was just, like, clinging to, like, just the threads of my form. Well, we're, we're kind of doing this in reverse, but you just said, like, you know, we're talking about right now instead of mm-hmm. how you cycling in the first place, which I want to hear about, but yeah. um, you just gave us a perfect lead in with talking about your season. Like you've had a crazy season. So like I said at the top, like I use the word retired really loosely. You mm-hmm. don't seem retired at all. I just checked on Strava. You cycled like 800 or 800 hours this year. That's not a retired cyclist <laughs> at all. You've had a crazy season, and I follow all these races on Instagram and all of it, and it's like Rob Britton, Rob Britton, Rob Britton, um, like right near the top of all this stuff. So, like, I want to sort of unpack your year. Like, did you? So, for when first of all, when you first retired, did you know that you were going to be this busy, or did it just sort of like, oh, I'll race a little, and then your calendar was packed? Uh, it was definitely the latter. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I stopped. I was like, oh, like. For one, yeah, the retirement word I'm not actually allowed to use around my wife anymore. I get in trouble. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't say that anymore. Um, but uh, and rightfully so, I guess. Um, but yeah, like I had full intention of doing, like I had full intention of doing these Scrabble events. Um, I, I, I kind of applied for you know Belgium Alpha Ride and SBT to get in. Um, like some were a lottery and then a few other events of the year kind of pick shoes this and that applied for the lifetime grand prix um and got in like i remember sitting in the office with um easton and got this call and it was it was just a like it was a new york number and like i never really get spam calls from new york of all places so 
again, I knew it was around the time they were going to be doing the announcement for the Grand Prix. So I, I'm like, oh, like, I'll just take this call for a second. And I go, hey, you're in. And then right then I was like, holy shit, like this season went from being like pretty sparsely filled to like very filled. And now it's like, you know, all these different places all over the U.S. plus the stuff I'd already kind of wanted to do um, in Canada and like the other U.S. events plus FKT plus bikepacking. And then it was just like, shit, this year's full. And it, I didn't account for the travel that would be around that as well. Um, yeah, like logistically, like what a nightmare. And travel is not exactly easy these days, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, we were still in, like at that time, we were still definitely dealing with like a lot of like, okay, travel's kind of okay. Like sure. if you cross this border, it's you don't need a test, but if you fly, you need this test and all this crap. And it's like, oh my gosh. Like, uh, so, um, and, and then, can you explain it's it's six events, right? The lifetime series. Yes. So uh, the Grand Prix um, is uh, three mountain bike and three road, or sorry, three gravel. Um, so it's a uh, sea otter mountain bike was how it started off, um, which in of itself is just a crazy event. Um, then you do unbound, so it's a big gap. It's like almost two month gap, and then you do unbound, which is kind of the crown jewel of the whole series, right? That's by most people considered like the biggest gravel event in the world. Um, I wouldn't disagree. Um, then you have Crusher and the Tusher, which is sort of was a new one. I think they just acquired at the end of last year. Um, and that's in Beaver, Utah, a place most people haven't even heard of. Um, but it's a beautiful course and just a unique event. That's gravel again. Um, then it's Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race. Uh, like that's one of the most iconic mountain bike races in the world. Like I had no idea how big of a deal it was till I was there. Um, then this one I'd never heard of. And like, I don't even know if I say it right to this day, but uh, Schwamigan. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, this is like, I think it's in like Wisconsin or something. Like I didn't go to that one this year. Um, I basically just ran out of money. So I ended up doing PC, PC bike race and, Kind of like hoped that I wouldn't have a bad big sugar because the series is best five out of six, and the final one was a uh, big sugar back over, um, you know, in Arkansas, uh, in Walmartville, Bentonville, um, and that was like that was an, like it was interesting going to all these places. Like you know, the whole year was just was a constant rotation of just like all this a new experience, new event, like a new place, like. You know, meeting all these new people, doing like obviously new events. It was like incredible, and yeah, ending up in Walmart, of all places, was a uh, was pretty cool. The amount of money and effort they've done for cycling in that place is wild. Like yeah, the Waltons, they have done pretty impressive job of creating like cycling in a place you would never ever expect it. And all kinds too, right? Like Tyler, you were just there and, and he, Tyler said the same thing to me. Like he just couldn't believe what they've done, the infrastructure they've created for it. Yeah, it's wild. Like um, I was just like so cracked on the year, but had I not been, I would have uh, probably stayed for another few days for sure and ridden the mountain bike trails. Cause I mean, I love mountain biking and they sound just incredible. And when you look at like Bentonville, it's just everywhere. Like it's, 
everywhere and it's they're all really well maintained like everyone for a small town that you wouldn't expect to have as much respect from like the drivers it's like i think it's because they don't know what the walton kids look like so anybody could be one and they don't want to risk running one over so you're safe <laughs> so yeah that's great now so a lot of people transition from road to gravel and and i totally get that move but not everybody spends days on end in the woods like that's a totally different level did you uh was it hard like did you have that kind of interest when you were younger before you became a pro and did it, did you always want to get back to that because bike packing's obviously exploded but to go and do um like you almost kicked off your season with the bc epic right uh yeah i mean so the bc epic for me in my like, timeline of things was like halfway through my year that was like a lot right right before that was the last time i like actually trained like an athlete should train um, after that, it was just sort of like fixing injuries um, and like driving places. But uh, yeah, so when I was a kid, no, I was like, I never grew up in like an outdoorsy family. Um, I just like, uh, yeah, growing up in Regina, it's not like you're around the mountains or like forests. Like my folks never, like my dad hates camping. You weren't like Swain yeah. Tuck. Like you were. <laughs> you were can you, deep can you explain the- where Regina is? Uh, so. Um, other than being the city that rhymes with fun, uh, uh, Regina is basically, it's the uh, capital city of Saskatchewan. It is in a very flat, very windy, um, part of the country, uh, kind of directly north of North Dakota. Um, but it just gets flatter, colder and windier. Um, you know, you get proper Canadian winter six months a year. Uh, you know, we had three roads to ride on essentially for road riding uh, mountain biking was effectively only ever in like a valley um and i'm not like it's pretty impressive the cycling culture that exists in a place that you wouldn't imagine it would um and yeah i mean if you've ridden to a headwind like you can appreciate how hard they are so you, you get strength for things that you wouldn't think you would but the funny thing was like my trade when i raced road was like climbing at altitude stage races. And I grew up in a flat place at sea level. And, you know, go figure. So uh, can you t- explain how that happened? How So growing up in Saskatchewan, you know, I, were you riding a lot by yourself? Yeah, so like I didn't start riding. Like I think I got my first road bike in grade nine or 10. Um, I didn't start really riding, like, you know, doing races and stuff and riding, like, what I can say, like, a real bike, like, not a department store bike. Um, I didn't start that until uh, it would have been, I want to say, kind of the start of grade eight, maybe, um, maybe the end of grade seven. Uh, saved our money, uh, like, bought my teacher's, like, old track mountain bike, and then I, yeah, fully got bitten by the bug. Um, love cycling i was so 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 bad at it like just like horrible but i just loved it and it was something i could do by myself it wasn't a team sport i was never any good at like other sports um it was like just the riding itself like was something that my parents would need to like be involved to drive you around plus you're still at that age where it's like it's like you can't drive but you know you still want to like explore so 
back and you could just run around like a wildling and like no one really cared where you went. So like ride around a ton and uh, it just grew like as a, this crazy passion all through high school. And like, you know, I had this, told this story a bunch, but I had this like mastermind plan that like had zero sort of foundation to it. It was just like an idea I had. I'm like, oh, I'm going to race my bike and then I'm going to go to Victoria to the National Training Center and be on the national team and then be like a professional cyclist. And it's like, there's no map for this. There's like, you know, this is pre-cell phones, pre, like, I mean, email was kind of a new thing at this time. Like, you know, no one from Canada at this point, like other than like maybe like Mike Berry or something um, had done like pro road. Like, you know, I look up to guys like Ryder and like Roland on the mountain bike side of things. Like Seamus, all these, all these guys, like we had huge mountain bikers and like, I realized I probably wouldn't be a pro mountain biker because I sucked at chapter riding coming from Saskatchewan, believe it or not. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's how I just progressed. And like each year I got a little bit better. Um, but yeah, it's like the story of my career, right? It's like I got like 5% better each year, like clockwork. But when you start out really bad, 5% doesn't make a big difference. But when you get kind of good and you start like actually making like real improvements, Five percent when you're actually kind of good is a, like you know that's a huge jump, and it just kept happening like every single year there was uh, making like leaps and bounds um, by the end um, to a, like obviously a certain point, but probably to about 2017, 2018. It's like yeah, just kept improving. Um, so I went from yeah riding around Saskatchewan on like a down tube shifting like eight speed Chinelli road bike that was like a 62 centimeter to like yeah my last year like racing like Tour of Swiss, like with like some of the biggest names in the world. Like, you know, a kid from Saskatchewan is just there's that it never happened before and it hasn't happened since. And like who knows if it'll happen again. I mean I hope it does. Like I hope someone finds it. But yeah, the the transition, the places you go, it's pretty wild looking back. Yeah. Uh, you won the tour of Utah, what was that in two thousand eighteen? Uh two thousand seventeen, yeah. Yeah. Uh Tour Gila twice. That's you know insanely hard races with tons of climbing yeah like you said altitude yeah good. yeah i loved hearing you know, one of your favorite races you did was uh you know helping mike woods uh you know win a bronze medal in the world yeah there in australia that, that, uh, austria austria yeah yeah, yeah that, that was uh that was a incredible like that was an incredible day it was um the only time i did road race worlds i'd done time trial the year before but um Obviously, it's like it's super special because that's the only medal Canada's got in men's road um, since Bauer. And, you know, but before that, it was uh, kind of going back to the uh, the bikepacking thing. I had done a very unconventional kind of prep for worlds. So I'd done a full summer of um, like road racing and stuff. I was in like really good shape at the end of the summer. I did. Uh, Montreal and Quebec World Tour races, and then came home and went bikepacking um, for 11 days through like basically all of British Columbia and like the uh, Canadian Rockies all the way up the coast. You know, not exactly paying attention to like my nutrition or like training peaks. And got to Worlds, and there was kind of that like so. I remember like the guys just like he went bikepacking as your prep and I kind of kept like I didn't make a lot of posts about it because I was like 
myself kind of nervous. I'd never done, I'd never bike packed before in my life. And let alone before effectively, like at this time, I think it was considered like the hardest road worlds in years. Um, and I was like, so they're asking before and like, how do you, how do you think you'll go? How do you feel? Like, you know, no one knew, but like my knees had like fully blown out, like during, uh, during that bike packing. And it's like, I was like suffering, just like walking around and like, you know, riding was not very comfortable, but I felt like I was pretty fit. So, um, ended up getting the break and the rest is kind of like it went down. But before that I had, like, I had no idea before that race. I was like terrified because I knew it was a big, big deal. And like Kevin, the director for second Canada, um, high performance kind of stuck his neck out and like, let me do this, this bike packing thing. Cause I almost failed on going to worlds just because I committed to my friends. I want to do this, this trip. Like it was my idea. I, not had a lot of love for cycling Canada in the past like and so it was more important to me to like do this thing with my friends that we had talked about it was you know really important and cycling Canada could wait but then Ricky told me to just do both so just like everything else she's usually right and I pushed for it and Kevin's like yeah sounds great so but yeah it's it's kind of funny that it, it all worked out, but it just as easily, like I could have missed that break and then I would have just died in the field, I think. But in the end, yeah, kind of everything worked out real nice. So during that trip, did you realize that you wanted to do like FKT attempts and racing bikepacking? Cause it's pretty different. Yeah, I mean, no, during that, it was just like, it was just learning everything, mostly how much better gear can be and how much better my like friends who like, camp are at all the non-biking stuff yeah like to give you like a bit of a backstory in the bike packing like, like i grew up never was never like a really outdoorsy person i liked it but it, like i never camped um i never had that nice gear i mean before the bike before the bike packing trip like this kind of stuff like basically like cyclotourism was a joke to me like an actual like joke like these people are lame like they just ride around like this is dumb and then it was the craziest thing. I had this dream one night and it was like an earworm. Like I woke up and in my dream it was like, oh, like it'd be cool to like pioneer a route like from Calgary to like Victoria. Like because we were staying in Calgary, like that's where Vic was going to med school. You know, home for us really felt like the West Coast. It, like all my best friends were still out there. So I woke up and then like I've been into making routes. So I just started to route it out seemed like it could make sense reached out to like my core group of friends who always seem to be down for doing some kind of dumb thing with me so um they like like yeah sounds good none of us had ever bike packed before didn't own the bags had no idea about any of this stuff like my one friend jamie like camp like he's a very outdoorsy person um so he already had it like here um i didn't i had to bet i had an air mattress and that was about it like i had to you know i used ricky's tent um, and a lot of she had camping stuff. She's an outdoorsy person, but so I borrowed her stuff, bought like, you know, a sleeping bag, um, bought the, we all bought the bags. Um, and then like literally the first time we went like and did like an overnighter, all of us, like myself, Jamie Taylor, and, uh, my friend Nick Hamilton, um, the first time was on this trip. Like it was just like, well, and it's a great, like, 
it is the craziest feeling and I still get it um, to a degree, uh, but nothing like the first time is like when you leave a place and you kind of have your house packed onto your bike and you're not coming back. This is like a one-way ticket. That is it. And you don't know what lies ahead. Like, especially this time, it's like, uh, there's so many unknowns and I planned as much as I could, but you really had no idea how rugged it was going to be. Like if anything breaks, like all that stuff is crazy. Like, it's not like you have every meal planned. You just sort of like figure it out as you go. And, um, and I just like fell in love with it, but doing like FKT stuff, like that world didn't really exist to a degree back then, or like it wasn't as like in a competitive sense. Like I never really looked at the bike packing as like competitive. It's like almost my sort of compensation for being ultra competitive all of the time. Like it was yeah. just I go out, check out. There was no like I always like have a power, have a power meter on all my bikes just because. Um, but like it, it's more to look at it like retroactively you're like oh wow we burnt 8,000 kjs today that's a lot um but otherwise like I liked bikepacking because I was unplugging from pro road race and then now it's it's still kind of that thing but now we see like search out like just crazy adventures like the one we did this summer was yeah I'm still like still processing it it was so over the top like on every single like metric but that one was insane that's awesome great so so there's somebody combined bike backing and racing together to do a fkt i'd love to hear about that yeah, yeah so the, i want to hear about the the uh the elephant that you saw <laughs> oh man yeah so um the bc epic 1000 is uh it's an established route from Merritt to Fernie, uh, British Columbia. It each summer uh, around solstice, they do like a mass start event. Um, like, so, um, and you, you can do an individual time trial either from Merritt to Fernie or Fernie to Merritt. Um, in that first bike packing trip, we had done a lot of portions of the, uh, like westbound route um so i had some idea of a few pieces of the route but uh we did it in september and this was like the opposite this was very early in the season so um i had no idea what because a lot of these tracks get run down by um, atvs and motos uh but this year um it was kind of the latest fall or sorry the latest spring summer we've like ever had like for reference the year before or like multiple years before when they'd done the uh the mass start they're dealing with like crazy heat already because you go through the okanagan um crazy heat drought like conditions fire smoke all this kind of stuff this year i was dealing with flood like like borderline like flooding issues and like crazy amounts of standing water you know um i made a little video it just it's when i was cracked already um it took until I think about two or three o'clock in the like, second day that I finally went above like double digits in Celsius. So it was, you know, below 10 for most of it until about two or three in the afternoon. Um, so yeah, basically the ride, uh, I finished unbound, came home, had like a week to recover from that. Cause I felt like well, unbound's like 200 miles. So I'm like, well, this is like 600 miles. And, 
I'll be in shape. That's good. Just do that. Let's we'll roll it over. And uh, so it kind of went a bit sideways at the start. Um, my friend was supposed to fly into Calgary, and then we would just drive casually, get to Merritt, or sorry, uh, fly to Vancouver, um, drive my truck casually to Merritt. I could like chill, eat food, like nap, because it's like a three and a half hour drive. His flight got delayed the morning of, and delayed and delayed to the point where I'm like, okay, well, essentially I just kind of like threw him to the wolves because I had too much stuff to figure out. And I'm like, well, you got to figure out how to get to Merritt. So I got to go. And I ended up having to drive myself. And because I'd waited so long, I ended up in like Vancouver traffic, like rush hour. So ugh. my plan was to start at 9 p.m. Like with the theory of like, there's this ferry you have to catch midway through or like after about three quarters. And it obviously only runs certain hours of the day. So I wanted to catch it like not like basically try to catch like the very first one. So like work backwards on that. Figured if I at nine, that would work out well. Use that adrenaline that you have for the excitement of the event to just push through that first night. And it and it was. It was great. Like I wasn't tired at all that first night. But I was up from six AM on Tuesday morning until I guess probably about eleven PM on Friday. I had had a total of maybe three and a half hours of sleep total. Like, so um, it was pretty wild. Uh, yeah, so on the on the ride, that first night was no problem, burnt through it easy. You kind of get a bit tired, and then it's like, you know, your body starts to, like, struggle, like, once you've been riding for, like, 12, 13 hours straight, like, without really taking a break. And then from then on, it's just, like, you're running pretty light gear, but you still have, like, the bike's loaded down. Like I had a sleeping bag and an air mattress, um, no shelter. So it's like, I needed to get to a few places. And that first, like, so I went at 9 PM, went 24 hours through. And then at about, I think it ended up being like 11 or 12, uh, just above Christina Lake or um, Castle Guard. You go through these crazy tunnels, uh, train tunnels. And my initial thought was like, oh, I'll just sleep in one of these. They're sheltered, easy. First one I went through, I saw a rat that was like the size of my forearm. And I went, all right, no thanks. These ones are occupied. And I'm like, all right, cool, let's keep riding. And then I remembered from like years back, the bike packing trip, there was uh, this like actual shelter, like proper, nice, like three walled, like permanent, um, almost like a picnic area with picnic tables and stuff underneath it, like at the very, very top. So, okay, I'll get there. It was actually like on the descent, and I was so tired at this point. Like, I was drifting off while I was riding the bike, like, full on catching myself. And, like, I don't even know how I got here. And that happened like three or four times. I had my jacket unzipped, like, just trying to catch a chill and, like, be like cold so that I just wake up. And I wasn't waking up and to the point where I was probably less than five minutes away from either crashing or just like pulling over and sleeping, like, on the side of this, like, dirt road just because it was getting like, I'm going to fall for sure. And if I go that way, it's like, it's kind of off a cliff. So I don't want to like, <laughs> get this sorted. So I did find a place to sleep, slept for about an hour. Like some air matched up on the picnic table was great. You know, it changed into a uh, new chamois, like undershirt, dry, like a dry layer. Um, you know, put up my vitamins and my can of Red Bull, uh, set, my, uh, set my alarm on my phone for yeah an hour. Uh, and it was like, like, I closed my eyes. I was so tired. It wasn't even like, you know, sometimes it takes a while to fall asleep. 
uh, I blinked and that was it. I was out. Um, then, uh, then the next day, yeah, you start to get really tired. Um, and the body was shutting down pretty hard. Um, uh, my, that was the only mechanical I had, like ended up pushing through essentially like a third night. So first night, no problem. Second night had a, had a nap, uh, next day slept for maybe 30 minutes on that ferry. Um, so yeah, I'm about an hour and a half asleep at this point. And, uh, my body just like the distance seemed okay, but it, that last bit of the BC Epic is just wild. Like it goes, it, it, it's, that's, there's so many different parts of it. Like you go like fast fire service roads, like quad, like ATV trail, um, mountain bike single shack. But as you get close to the end, you just get more and more of this like really twisty technical slow stuff. And we ended up in the dark after, you know, 40 hours of like moving or whatever it was like 50 hours of being on the road. And like, I remember like, oh, it's only 160 K like I'm in home stretch. I'm done. But it's just like, it's, you know, the last 10 K of the marathon, like anybody will tell you that's when like, you know, most people drop out, like, cause they're just done. And that was like, I remember my body was so screwed and I was coming unglued, like a puncture, like a spoke broke. I, I have no idea. Like if you put me there today and I said, like, figure out how you went through this area. Like there's no chance. Like I was just falling blindly my like, head unit on the Wahoo. Cause there's just all these twists adding in all this distance. Like as a crow flies, it's probably 20 K and it took me six or seven hours. So I ended up being out for a full extra night and it was just as sun was rising. And like, I thought I'd seen a few things before. And I'm like, okay, no, it's like, and like normal animals, like an elk or a deer or something, which could have been there, but I don't think they were. And then it was like, I remember looking to my left and like actually like out loud being like, what are you doing elephant? And then I'm like, holy shit, I am tripping. And then I, I think I just started laughing because like at that point I'm like, it's happened. Like I'm tripping out. Like here it is. Yeah. <laughs> I heard about this. It's happening now. Exactly. It's like, you were like, oh yeah, you'll hallucinate if you're out like long enough. And I thought I was fine. Like I was just getting kind of grumpy and over it. But like then all of a sudden, yeah. Like I knew, you know, obviously there's not an elephant there, but you're like kind of looking back. Like, and then, and then after that, it's like I think I just lost the plot. Like the first night, I tried like just like audible self-talk. I'm like I was talking myself out, keep me awake. And uh, that lasted for like 30 seconds. And it's like okay, well that's not gonna happen. And then by the final night, poof. We're having full-on conversations like it's like there's like two or three different personalities out there just like having a good old debate like probably sound like an absolute crazy person like coming into uh fernie but yeah it kind of kept me going like so but yeah the elephant thing that was that's kind of cool like i mean probably not healthy to that point but without taking any like illicit drugs it's pretty impressive to yeah see yourself or see things mm -hmm. so yeah. And you smashed the record, what, seven plus hours? Something yeah, like yeah. I mean, I I still think it's possible. Like, I hoped to do it in under two days. And I think had it been like the 
the regular court because I had to do a modification because the main pass when I did it was still under like meters of snow. That's and what I was asking. So you were diverted around Gray Creek, right? Yeah, exactly. So I would go down. Yeah, it, it adds 50k and 500 meters of elevation. So that's not it. And you still do a big climb. Like, um, so, and I still ended up having to hike like three kilometers over the top of this freaking mountain uh, through snow. So um, it was definitely no like just cakewalk. But um, yeah, it, it was, oh gosh, like, yeah, it was crazy that took so much longer and to the point where I, yeah that last night I hadn't anticipated because I did I did truly think like 48 hours was going to be like hard but achievable like I'm like okay under normal circumstances like I say it's like you know I could have packed lighter I would have had less clothes um you know it's warmer so you're moving faster I have less layers on so my body probably would have like not started like chafing and like breaking down like it did so all these things add up to where you're actually moving like I think when I got to the uh, ferry, even then I was like, I, w I knew at that point I wasn't going to break 48 hours, but I was probably on track for like nine or 10 hours faster. And then it, I came unglued so bad that final night, like just, you know. Would that be the ferry from like Balfour to? Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I've ferried with the bike a number of times. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, when I got the flat tire in the middle of the night, I started like, looking at it, like being so. Like it's not a complicated thing, but I had Cushcore in there, and I didn't even bring tire levers. So I remember like looking at it and being like, "Well, that is a first. Like I've never had a puncture. Like it came because the spoke broke. It punched the rim tape, so I couldn't. I thought I couldn't plug it. There's nothing to plug. And it was just there was a hole in the rim, so there's just air escaping. So I had to take everything off. So it got complicated for a person who hadn't slept for two days. So that was a fun little uh, project yet. Yeah, two in the morning in the dark on some road. Yeah. A long way from a pro team following you with yeah. a new bike, okay? Yeah, I was just putting the hand up when the service <laughs> came. No, it was, uh, yeah, it was rad. And then, you know, you finish and like, the funny thing was like, no one will ever see this footage, thank God. But um, Matt Clark, the videographer I had, so like I remember like I finished and was like just cracked. But like you know, it's eight in the morning, so the sun's coming up. You're kind of coming back to life a bit, and uh, you know, go to the hotel room that we'd booked, and uh, you know, we got a late checkout, so we got to tell eleven. We still have to do kind of like B-roll, like post-ride uh, film, and there's a reason why there's no like post-ride film on there because like. I had two beer afterwards, you know, as you do at eight in the morning. Um, and I was like between just being exhausted, like, I mean, I was hallucinating. So I was obviously not in a great place, like mind frame. Um, and Matt, like he'd been up for more or less the same amount of time I had driving. So he's not like at his sharpest. He said there was not one piece of audio that he like that was usable. It was just like, <laughs> which is funny. It's like, I'm like, yeah, I sounded bad. I obviously I was pretty out of it. It's like, mate, I was not better. I thought it sounded pretty good at the time. And then I listened to it afterwards and it's just terrible. All right. So I, I'd kind of like to just make like just a blooper reel of just how bad you like of a place you're in after something like that. Like, yeah, it's wild. So yeah, hopefully that footage never sees like the public light of day. 
but you want to give it another go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, which is amazing. Yeah, I think someone broke the record out probably like actually give it like having done it. It's like I think like you learn so much in these things. It's just like so many things this year. Right? It's like, you know, I raced my bike for like over 10 years and to still be finding new things to love about cycling, new kinds of cycling to love and also like better ways to do it and like different ways to do things is it's really exciting. But also like that ride, like really fucked me up. Like, um, sorry, I should swear. It really, oh, no. yeah, really hurt. like my hands, like to this day, like these fingers are still numb on the fingertips a bit. Um, I didn't wear gloves cause it's like in like that typical, like I have lots of good gloves. I always race gloves, but in a typical like roadie mindset, it's like, well, this is like a training ride and when you train, you always use bare hands just cause that's what you do. And like, you just sit on that nerve for so long with no reprieve. Um, yeah, it kind of like this, my right hand's fine now, but my left hand's still, yeah, fingertips are not quite there. Um, yeah, I did some like pretty wild, like skin damage to my nether regions, like just from the, like I got soaked on the first day and it just never dried. So it's just crazy chafing. Um, and then my knees, because of that, were destroyed. Like, I actually had to get, like, for the first time in my career, a cortisone shot in my knee just to, like, yeah, because it was, it was so inflamed that the treatment that usually worked, like, it just wasn't having an effect because it was so, like, lit up. So I had to get it, we had to get the cortisone, take a week to let that work, and then get my usual, like, um, dry needling done. So that was, it took me... Like I had this grand ambition to do other things because it was like downtime. I was like, I'm going to do mountain biking. Like, it's going to be great. It's summer. Like, the dirt's just getting good. And for three weeks, I think I rode maybe five hours total. Like, and yeah. It, and for the rest of the season, I was just like dull. Like, all those races I did, I was just like, I just never came back and never sharpened back up. And then I mean, it didn't do myself any favors when we went bikepacking for 11 days in the wilderness. So, yeah. And the BC bike race, which like you were fourth overall in the BC bike race, not a professional yeah. biker. Like that's incredible after the season you put together. And I like, I know who some of those guys are up there. Like I know Carter Newesteg pretty well. Carter was a monster, like racing around at his level for a week is amazing that you did that after the year you put together. Thanks. Yeah, no, that's like, I've never done a mountain bike stage race before, obviously. And, um, oh, I had no idea. Like we raced like an XCO every day. Cause like, I can't ride the technical stuff. Like those guys can obviously like they're, they've been doing that their whole lives. Like, and so the only way I could make a dent on them was to just go absolutely crazy on the climbs. So anytime, and like in the Okanagan, it's not like the West Coast. It, these are big, big climbs, like big 45-minute long climbs every day. So I would just put them to the sword, like every single climb. And I'm sure they appreciated it. I'm sure. Well, it's like at the start, it was like a, they like, they're kind of joking, but like at the same time, they didn't like I forced their hand because they had to chase. So 
I just tried to break them every single day. And then I, I got figured it's like at the top of these ascents, I would need at least three minutes on most of them. And hopefully I could, like the days were long enough that I could crack them and they'd like fully come unglued and then I could open the gap. And that worked a couple of times, but they, they actually recovered better than I anticipated they would. And I, and then they kind of figured my strategy out pretty well. It's like they, they'd hold me for a bit, but then like, I think when they start to crack a bit more, they'd let the gap go out because they knew that they could just close that, close that on the descent. Like even if they had to risk it a bit more on the descent, like for them risking it is just having more fun. So, yeah, and like, I'm just like, like I looked at, speaking of Carter, I looked at his uh, heart rate profile from like one of the stages and myself. And like, I think we finished within like 30 seconds of each other. And my heart rate basically does, the, like if you took away the elevation, like backdrop, you would just see, it would look like I was doing a time trial. Like just basically like this with little ups and downs. When you see Carter's, it's like, <laughs> like he's recovering and all that. It's like, he's going down to like 115 beats on the descents. Like mine goes from 195 to like 187 on the descents. Like I'm tense. I'm not recovering. Like I'm just trying not to make any mistakes. And I know these guys are just like charging from behind. Um, so yeah, but by the end, oh my God, like my brain was fried. Mountain bike races are so hard on you. Like mentally it's crazy. So I think that was kind of backing that up with like two days later doing the, uh, BCDR gravel. I yeah. think it was kind of, uh, the nail in the coffin, like 12 days of racing in 14 days. It's kind of like going back to the old day job. And, uh, yeah, I felt like I never really came back from that one. Like um yeah i was like i recovered physically just fine but i think mentally i was just so done with the year at that point and having big sugar as like this standalone event like weeks removed from the bc bike races is like oh i don't think i did like a single real training ride over four hours or even under four hours for that matter like a proper riding so yeah i was pretty blown out at that point so what does next year look like so far and and where can people follow along where can people find you on uh, social media and stuff because there's obviously a lot more adventuring coming and people should be paying attention yeah uh yeah so working on next year um i like i had a lot of really great partners this year like like obviously like easton castelli schwabi um like factor felt like they are all great a lot of them are sticking around next year and like coming back to the table because they really liked what my program looked like this year. Um, so next year will be similar. Um, uh, obviously still need to like for something like the lifetime grand prix, I need to apply for that. Um, you know, Belgium waffle ride series looks pretty cool. It's a bunch of like, new events. Um, you know, midway through this year, I looked at it and realized I could do, six different events every year for like three years and I would never have to overlap and those would be six great events like there's so many great events um it's really important to me that I do um the ones in Canada when it's possible um obviously it's important to support home races and it's also it's really special to be able to race at home after especially the career I've had like having rarely been able to race in British Columbia over my professional career so you know um bc bike race mountain bike is a big target next year it's on the island so that's huge um you know trying something like trans rocky single track six i like i really enjoyed mountain biking this year um so i want to maybe do more of that next year 
um, racing, uh, I'd like to actually try to train for these and be fit. Because like Unbound was probably one of the few I was trained up for properly, and it went quite well. Um, but uh, yeah, and then FKTs and that kind of stuff, the adventure side of it, uh, that one always takes a bit more planning. Um, I have a few in mind. Like I'd really like to try this Trans Cordelius down in Columbia. It's like a week long. I think it's a week long. Um, bike, like self-supported bikepacking race. Um, it just sounds incredible. Uh, Pete Stetna and uh, Lawrence did it last year, and I was pretty jealous of that. Uh, so that's something in my radar. Um, migration race in Africa, like Baja Divide. Um, there's a really cool and it might come back, but that's sort of like over the next couple of years. Um, I can't do all of that in a season. Um, and then Finland gravel is uh, is another one I'm super stoked on. Like they, like I'd like to do more international stuff now that travel's kind of normal again. It's something I love to do. I love to go around to new places like globally. Um, and then there's uh, shoot, there's the one in. Um, Iceland. What Thanks. about the one in Iceland? The Rift? Yeah, it's it's come up a few times, but it kind of, I don't want to say it's played out because it's not, it's like, Iceland's unique, but also it's like when you live in Canada, you kind of do get exposed to like cold gray days a lot. Like it looks beautiful, but it's also, I think, super common to just get like crazy wind, cold, wet days there and like i don't necessarily love that like you know growing up in the pacific northwest or like you know living in the pacific northwest i get a lot of that and if i can only kind of like maximize like x number of like international travel days each year i don't know if the rift would jump to the top although iceland in itself is like a place like i like to go maybe not necessarily just for that like if i went there i would definitely try to do more than just that event. Same as uh, Finland Gravel. Like I have a close friend who lives in Helsinki. Um, but I mean, you're going to these places and like just doing the event, there's so much more. I mean, like perfect example, last weekend in Bentonville, gravel race, but it's like you come for the gravel race and you stick around to ride the mountain bike trails. Like I think Finland, like, you know, you go for the event and then you stick around to, you know, like drive race cars with Valtteri Bottas or something. I don't know, you do like, Take advantage of like the places you get to see, um, yeah. And there's there's a lot of stuff I want to do. It's just kind of plotting out what that looks like, and then like I say having obviously like a decent amount of racing because there's still that part of me that is like hyper competitive. And after this year, it's like I feel like I just kind of like not mailed it in, but it was definitely more of a rest year after like racing for song. Like I just needed to not be focused but it's like almost like a really long off season of just fun but now maybe it's like take those races a bit more seriously and see what happens sure awesome well thanks for doing this man we're going to be following along for sure you have two big fans here and i really really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us it's awesome no thank you guys yeah no it's it's cool obviously like yeah it's nice to share the story but like yeah with tyler i remember watching you like race back like when i was yeah as a kid in saskatchewan i first moved out here it's always it's just been like that's been like the highlight of or one of the highlights of like 
my career is like meeting guys like yourself who like were so influential like in like my early career like you know getting to know like Roger Hatchell the same thing it's like he's this guy no one like or like you know you look up to and then you like end up meeting these people and it's just sort of yes yeah, like it's a pretty special sport because of that so yeah no thank you guys for taking the time to yeah chat I'm glad you enjoy the stuff I do it's like it's nice nice sharing it and then hopefully more people kind of hear about it and like get jazzed up to go on a gravel ride or go try bike packing or even yeah, do road racing like it's just I think it's important to share those experiences and not everything has to be yeah the hyper competitiveness or like super funded thing that people maybe think it does like there's a lot of really great things you can do without ever having like getting a paycheck to do it like yeah all of this stuff you can enjoy it just as much like on a weekend for free totally well but man you're awesome rob hey thanks so much for taking the time hey my two cents take a good have a good uh off season make make sure you get some good rest you had a big year this year so no, thank you yeah we're actually gonna go down to uh mexico for 10 days without bikes so right. yeah good 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 rest recover sunshine gear up for next year thanks again rob really appreciate it man great to meet you yeah you too thanks guys appreciate it another huge thank you to rob Britton for joining us on the podcast that was super fun and we hope that we can have him back he's obviously going to be gearing up for an epic 2023 you can hear it in the episode for sure thank you everybody for listening we really really appreciate that and for you spending some of your valuable time with us, we really, it means a lot that you would uh, choose to listen to us. There's a million awesome podcasts out there. So thanks so much for spending time with us. If you're able to support the show by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you find us or leaving a positive rating review or checking out the new YouTube channel, if you'd rather see video of the podcast, you can do that. It's Adventure Audio Podcast on YouTube and you can subscribe there too. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.